I want to bring a message entitled, The Life That God Uses, found in Genesis 41. And if you're familiar with any part of the story of, of Genesis, especially the latter part, you will discover one of the characters that carry forth through the end of Genesis is that by the man named Joseph. Joseph is a very um, strong character, a character that God used in many different ways and demonstrated through Joseph's life on how you and I, too, could adopt some of those characteristics and better the place in which we live and the relationships that we have following Joseph's example. Now, to understand Joseph, you may already be familiar with what happened to him. You know, he was regarded as one of the father's favorites, and as a result, the brothers were jealous of Joseph. And I'm just downsizing this a little bit to get you up to par to Genesis 41. And basically, Joseph, he was sold into slavery because of that jealousy, uh, reported back to the father that Joseph actually was killed. The brothers wanted to kill him, but one stood up for him and said, no, let's don't kill him. They at least had a little bit of a conscience. And so they just sold him off into slavery in hopes that he would be gone and good riddance of Joseph for the rest of their life. Well, in the process, Joseph finds himself in the land of Egypt. And while being in Egypt, Joseph's position is continually being exalted as he goes from one area to another. And picking up in Genesis chapter 41, verse 37, it is after Pharaoh has these dreams, and no one seems to be able to help Pharaoh, who was the mass leader of the country, and basically like their king, and he's troubled over these dreams. And Joseph steps forward because he had the capacity with a God-given ability to be able to interpret dreams and, and kind of foretell, uh, foretell the, uh, the meaning of those dreams in the reality of truth that was really going to happen. And so he hears the dream, and after hearing Joseph's dream, I mean Pharaoh's dream, Joseph interprets it. Now, in interpreting a dream, especially of a Pharaoh or a king, if they like it, you're in good standing. If they don't like it, you better put your hand around your neck pretty quick because it might go off. And so he stood there in fullest of confidence that God knew what he was doing, and he helped to interpret that dream. And in Genesis 41, picking up in verse 37, this is what took place. The proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Not only did he interpret the dream, he also gave him a little insight of what he can do. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find anyone like this, a man who has the Spirit of God in him? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made known all this to you, there is no one as intelligent and as wise as you. You will be over all my house, and all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. So he has brought Joseph from nothingness to second in command. He's like the vice president of a country. 
So if something happens to the president, the vice president steps in. If something happens to Pharaoh, Joseph will rule the entire nation. So he's high in power. He's just been kind of going up the ladder, and it's not because of Joseph. It's because what others meant for evil, God meant for good. And he brought Joseph to a place of service that was going to aid his people, who was going to aid the, the Messiah, who was going to aid his cause, who was going to aid the restoration and reconciliation of the entire world to God. And so God is in the midst of doing all this. And so he says, Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I am placing you over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed the signet ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him with fine linen garments and placed a gold chain around his neck. Now, does that sound familiar? Do you remember what the father did for the prodigal son? Does it come back alive? He had Joseph ride in his second chariot, and the servants called out before him, Abrak! So he placed him over all the land of Egypt. And so here is Joseph, a person of, of great interest in Scripture, a person that, that how God would take and use un, an unlikely person in an unlikely place, but with a God who knows what he's doing. The experiences of Joseph in Egypt brought him to great insight into the nature of God. Even though he was surrounded by all the impressive idols that Egypt or the Egyptians had, he learned by experience that the unseen God worshipped by his father, Jacob, was the true God in the world. Indeed, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, exercising control over even the pagan nation of Egypt. And it came to him first when these two fellow prisoners had dreams and he was able to interpret the dreams of the prisoners that eventually Pharaoh got word of and now Pharaoh presents his dream and this is where he's at. The God of his fathers was at work in the life of the servant who was there under Pharaoh's rule. And then there is the incident in Scripture uh, throughout this chapter where his, his, the communication with Pharaoh of Egypt is unlike any other communication. Most people could not even approach Pharaoh, but Joseph could. You know, God's up to something. He's up to something big. He's up to something very unique. And yet he needs someone in that land during this crisis, and God chose Joseph for this particular assignment. So as the brothers had jealousy and hatred and bitterness and, and just rivalry within them that was against their own brother, God just basically said, keep your heart open, keep your mind clear, keep serving me with all your heart, and I'm going to do something grand with your life beyond amazement. And surely enough, he did. Basically, the dream is you're going to have seven years of great harvest and you're going to have seven years of famine. 
So while we're into the seven years of greatness, I've got a plan. Why don't we begin to store some grain, feed, use, and keep the people going, but take some of that and begin to store enough to the amount that we'll have it during the time of famine. And we will survive this. Joseph also had enough grain built in that he could supply supporting nations around him. And Joseph basically devised that plan, and that's why Pharaoh says, wow, there's no one as intelligent as wise as you, and I can't think of anybody else that I'd want to run my country but you, except for myself. So I'm going to put you in charge of all this, second in command. So in this book, it sets forth the case for the character of our day, that of Joseph a character in which you and I begin to measure our own character. How would we respond and how obedient will we be and how courageous will we become as God calls us to serve Him wherever He calls us to be? So let's talk about the qualities that are useful for God that based on the character and the qualities that are inside Joseph's life. First of all, is the humble life. When the Pharaoh was at his most disturbing moment of his dreams, in search for an interpreter of those dreams, that search led him to Joseph, as we said. And it had been two years since Joseph had even interpreted a dream at this point. So maybe he felt as if he was a little rusty. And yet the chief baker, the chief cupbearer of of Pharaoh, all those around him began to whisper to Pharaoh that there was something special about this man who was jailed at one time, accused of rape even, wrongly, and all those things that were happening to this person. He says, there's one whom is an unlikely person who I think can help us. And yet, remember that it's been two years since he heard, you know, he had heard from God, so to speak, through a dream, And yet Joseph is standing there, careful in his presentation to go before Pharaoh. The Egyptians, very careful in their cleanliness, their dress, and their appearance. So Joseph prepares himself appropriately. He shaves his face because his facial hair is not even appropriate before Pharaoh. He makes his appearance recognizably recognizably different as he presents himself before Pharaoh. When Pharaoh tells him about what was in his dream, the seven fat cows, and yet the seven which and the seven ears of grain, the seven lean ears of grain, and how the leans of this and that, and all this good stuff. Pharaoh basically Joseph basically says to Pharaoh, it's very simple. Seven good years, seven bad years, and you better prepare for the bad years, because the good years are going to really be good. And you may forget in the midst of that seven years that bad things are getting ready to happen. And so the conversation continues to where Pharaoh recognizes something spiritual, different about Joseph's life. It's interesting in Hebrew when when Pharaoh said something about God in reference to Joseph, that who who in, in this whole place that we're at, in this whole nation, 
is there anyone that I can find as wise and intelligent as him and find one with the Spirit of God in him? The Hebrew word for Yahweh is an equivalent use of that word that came out of Pharaoh's mouth. It's almost like it was a derivative of. And so Pharaoh, even in his conversation, is thinking beyond the God of Pharaoh, the idols. He's thinking about someone that could possibly be higher and above any God that he knew in his life. So he opened the possibility that even in his thoughts that there was something higher than what he has never found. Isn't that interesting? And here was Joseph who represented that. Let this attitude be also in you, that is in Christ Jesus, be also in you. What he, and, and Paul says, let us imitate that attitude. And one of, those, one of the main characteristics of Christ's life based on Paul in the New Testament is a man who humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And Joseph is humbling himself before Pharaoh to become obedient to Pharaoh so that he could serve his God, the ultimate obedience for an entire nation of people. It's almost as if Joseph had... 90% of his eye on Egypt and 10% on the Hebrews. That's what it seemed like. But in, in reality, it was just the opposite. He's preparing for the famine, and he knows it's going to be far-reaching, and somewhere in the far-reaching land, there is his father and his brothers and his sister-in-laws and his children, his nephews and his nieces, all those in his life there are going to be others beyond Pharaoh who's going to need help. And so we see a very humble life presented before God, serving in a human capacity under the ruler Pharaoh. What others meant for evil, God meant for good. And second of all, the quality of useful life is the life of faith. Actually, there is no reference to faith. In, inside Joseph, in this passage about Joseph. Yet faith has to be the obvious answer to why he is where he is and how he's going to get through all that he's gotten through. Joseph had in his heart a quiet confidence in the ability that God had everything in control. We see his faith when he makes his first response to Pharaoh, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So he basically says to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I really can't interpret these dreams without God. In fact, God's going to give you the answer, and he's going to confirm it in your heart, and he's going to do it through my voice. And so he has the faith to believe that God is up to something. So the dreams of Pharaoh are all in the same to God, and yet God reveals to Pharaoh everything that he's about to do in the land of Egypt that is far-reaching to other nations that includes his own people. And just as he said to Pharaoh, God showed Pharaoh what he was about to do, and yet Pharaoh prepares. Joseph has a trust in God. There is faith. If it wasn't faith, he would have never continued to press on. He would have cashed in. He would have become bitter. He would have been relishing in the fact that one day I'm going to break these chains of, of Pharaoh and I am going back to my people 
and I am going to thunder my way back into my brother's life, and I'm going to deck every one of them. But he never thought that. He just continued to move forward. What God, what others meant for evil, God meant for good. Sometimes when a person receives the unexpected promotion, it produces pride. Look at me. Look what I've done, which destroys confidence in someone else's ability, that is, of God. Humility teaches a person that he cannot trust in himself, but faith teaches a man and a person that he can trust in God. And so we see the humble, faithful life of Joseph all throughout this passage. When Joseph was moved into a place of power, Pharaoh even gave Joseph a wife. She was the daughter of the Egyptian priest of On. Her name was Asenath. God blessed the union of this couple, and soon to be a son, a son would be born, and Joseph still has the faith in God, and it's obvious when he names his firstborn son Manasseh, which basically means because God has made me forget all my troubles and all of my father's household. There's faith. Joseph knows there's life beyond the evil. So he gratefully acknowledges the hand of God at work by the naming of that child. And so God has been his helper and has been his strength, and he has been his shade in the midst of the heat that Joseph has been under. He has been his rock. He has been his fortress. He has been his provider. He has done everything that the Scriptures say God is, and Joseph sees that. But Joseph is the son of Abraham in covenant with the Most High God, and yet he bears witness to the identity of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God is still looking for that kind of person today. He's still looking for you and I realizing that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and everybody else who follows. He wants someone to acknowledge him wherever they are, to acknowledge that God is up to something, and he wants, to have, he wants each one to have the confidence in his ability, in God's ability, to, to face whatever situation and circumstance we face in life. He looks for that person of faith. He looks for that person to say, I have been given lemons, but God is the lemonade maker of the world, and he's going to add sweetness, and it's going to be something great and very tasteful, and something wonderful is going to happen through the midst of this calamity. We've got to have that type of faith. Humble at the same time, so when it happens that we're not patted on the back, that all glory goes to God. A third quality useful to God based on the life of Joseph. Not only the humble life, the life of faith, but number three is a trustworthy life. He uses that quality, you know, obviously in the life of Joseph. It's a trustworthiness. If he was not trustworthy, Pharaoh would have never said to him, you are second in command. He would have never said to Joseph, if there was anything sketchy, in Joseph's life, Pharaoh would have never agreed to put Joseph in the position that he was at. Now remember, years before, 
Joseph was in a pit, sold into slavery unto the Midianites, left there to possibly die or left there to be found. The brothers, brothers didn't know, but they put him in that pit. And yet, eventually, he sold into slavery, and so he has nothing. He is completely at the mercy, he is completely at, at the disposal of whoever came into his life. He's been stripped of everything that identifies him as a Hebrew. He has been stripped of his family, of his life, of his possessions, of his honor. He has been stripped of his pride. He has been stripped of every accomplishment that was under his belt at this point in his life. And he was ripped from the scene of love. He was ripped from the scene of support. He was ripped from the scene of being upheld as an indignity as an individual under his father's care. And now he's second in command. If the cupbearer makes a mistake or says, I just don't want to taste this this time, I'm going to trust that it's a good cup to give to Pharaoh. Because a cupbearer basically is he tests what the drink is before he gives it to the higher authority. And if the cupbearer survives, from the, if it's non-poisonous and he survives, then the one in command, the king or whoever, drinks the cup. He knows it's safe. So maybe if Joseph is thinking, possibly, I'm going to wait on the cupbearer to make a mistake and I'll be in command, and I'll rule over this place, and I'll make it Hebrew. I'll change the whole faith of this nation. Never did you see any of that thought come forth in Joseph. He's trustworthy. Pharaoh puts him there. God looks for people of trustworthiness, people who can be in position and and honor him and be trusted, treated with the things that, that... are entrusted with the things of God's care and to treat others around them with that same care. Trustworthiness is the essential quality in the life that God will use. We should see our present responsibilities as individuals as a test. They were for Joseph and may well be for us. Scripture indicates that the responsibilities that we will be entrusted with in eternity are being determined now by how we handle the earthly responsibilities today. The humble life, a life of faith, and a trustworthy life. Joseph stands out among them all. If we prove to be faithful now, God will be able to entrust us with responsibilities. Whether it is in this time or eternity, God's always looking at our lives as to be a mark of trustworthiness. You know, you can, you can criticize me for my looks, what I wear, what I do. You can criticize me for what I drive, where I live. That's, so be it. That's your opinion. But you have no right, and I have no right, to make a judgment call about your trustworthiness. It is only between us and God. And when that happens, like I said, 
criticize the things around us, so be it. But when you begin to attack the trustworthiness of who we are, it takes on a different divisiveness within us. And a defense mechanism begins to pop up. And we begin to stick our head a little bit further out and we defend the character of who we are based on the character of God. So trustworthiness is so vitally important to you and it's so vitally important to me because if it wasn't, we wouldn't have that automatic defense mechanism in place. So God's looking for that trustworthy life, something of special interest to every New Testament Christian is the quality that's wrapped up even in the fruit of the Spirit. You know, you begin to look at Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. Love, joy, patience, peace, all those things. And it gets down to trustfulness. The trustworthiness, the faithfulness of a person's life is a part of the fruit of that Spirit. These are the qualities that matter the most. He produces in the life of those who walk in fellowship with God humility, faith, and trustworthiness. God is at work in our lives, bringing us to a place that we will be useful for his kingdom. And you, you look at all of Joseph. Now, that's just the introduction to this message, believe it or not. But I'm going to bring it to a close. <laughs> you look at all of this in Joseph's life. This is what, what brings amazement to me. When, when everybody thought Joseph was washed up and he was gone, Joseph never forgot whom he belonged to. And he never lost sight of what God could do. And so it happened, seven great years, and then there were seven bad years. And during the bad years, people around the nation of Egypt began to be a little hungry. They found themselves in a needful state what are the couple of things you got to need? You need to live, food and water. And so Joseph, dad, says to their sons, to the, to the sons, surviving sons that he had, I hear wind, I hear rumors that there is an abundance of grain in a nation called Egypt. Can you dispatch your two selves? and go find out if it's true. Two of the brothers comes to Egypt, and the person who's in charge of the famine, I mean of the feast and the famine, is Joseph. So to present their case as a Hebrew from another nation coming into a different country of worship and idols, they're going to have to appear before the man in charge. Joseph. And this is where the character of who Joseph is and the humble, faithful, trustworthy life that he has comes forth as gold. Now, we're behind Joseph, whispering, there's some visitors coming to see you, Joseph, and it's time to roll up your sleeves and grin because you got an opportunity to get even after all the injustice has happened in your life. And we're ready to stand back with all our cameras. We're going to take selfie pictures with you. 
Because we want to put this all on social media for everybody to see. To show how you are in control and you got back at the evil. That's what we're all wanting Joseph to do. That's the heroism. That's the Rambo effect. That's the get even effect. But Joseph, when he sees the two visitors coming before him, Joseph immediately knew that it was his brothers. But the brothers did not recognize that it was Joseph. It's kind of interesting. We'll find that in, in fifth, chapter 51 of Genesis. I know I fast-forwarded 10 chapters. And so he stands before Joseph. Joseph says, do you have any more family? Well, yeah, we do. Well, this is what I want you to do. We're going to take care of you. I want you to go get all the family, and I want you to bring them all to Egypt. Well, Joseph, he just wanted to see his daddy. He just wanted to be re reconnected with one he loved. And so these two, two brothers leave, and they go get everyone, and when they come back, the aha moment happens. And they begin to whisper among themselves, uh-oh. He looked, I knew he looked familiar. Hmm. <laughs> you remember? Yeah, I remember. Do you think that he, re mm -hmm, he remembers? What do you think we need to do? Um, I'm getting on my knees, buddy, and I'm going to beg for mercy. And that's basically what they did. And Joseph cried. The two brothers were still thinking how to save themselves. Even if it was pretend, just to humble themselves before this mighty leader. And they're still thinking about the, the selfishness of themselves. And Joseph begins to cry. Ah, oh, God has reunited me with the people I love. What you meant for evil, and I recognize that, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so I stand here today as a part of your Savior, because all of this is in line with prophecy. The continuation leading up to the Savior of the world. And so Joseph says, mercy upon your soul. I love you, son. Representing the voice of God to his own brothers. Now that's a humble life. The prideful life says, I'm going to get you. Life of faith says, regardless of what God has put in my life, I'm going to forget it because I'm going to get equal, equal to you. Or to display un, untrustworthiness and take matters in your own hands. Joseph did none of that. That's who God uses. People who can see the good, even in the bad. The people who can see God at work when everything else falls around them. People who can have a vision of something greater than what the immediate actually is. People who can see that God is up to something big and is going to work out all the minute details and he's going to make it into a beautiful puzzle coming together piece by piece. It may take a lifetime and it may take a lot of sacrifice on our part and we may lose out on a lot of our growing up years, but when it all comes together, the piece of the puzzles are going to come together 
and form something beautiful. And when Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good, it's like he took the last piece of the puzzle and he picked it up and he put it in place and he says, now it's complete. God is good and he is all-knowing. And he knows what he can, he knows beyond what we could ever even imagine him to do. He knows us like a book, inside and out, and we stand before him. So I ask you, not as a judgment. This is not to make you feel bad, and this is not to make you feel guilty. This is a matter of saying to God, am I? Do I have the qualities? Do you have the qualities of a humble life, a life that is a life of faith, a life that is trustworthy? In other words, do you have the qualities within your life that God is looking for? If not, why not just come before God today? Say, God, you know all about everything I'm getting ready to confess. I'm just now realizing what you already knew. So will you help me to be like the person of Joseph? To be a person ready to be used and placed in the shelf of usefulness and be used by, by you? God's not going to say, <clears throat> let me get back with you tomorrow. He's going to say, thank you for finally submitting and surrendering. That's what I've been waiting for. Waiting on your response to say yes to me. So will you? God's ready to receive you. All that we are and all that we bring to him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the very moment that we have. A very pinpointed time in the close of our worship together to be able to evaluate who we are, and what we have become in the face of who you are and what you will always be. Father, help us to say yes in surrender as we place our life before you, to become an example of hope and care and compassion and love, an example of service and usefulness for you. May, Father, you help us when we fail you to become stronger and to rectify any quality, uh, quality problematic areas of our life so that we can be the people you've called us to be. Father, thank you for covering us with your spirit this day. In your name we pray. Amen.